as we approach Easter Sunday in two weeks, two weeks away, uh, we've been looking at the, the covenants of the Old Testament to try to understand how they can uh, make the new covenant that we find in Easter all the more meaningful. And so this week we're going to look at the covenant of the priest, the priestly covenant that we see in Aaron and in his family. Uh, before we get there, though, I want to tell you about my week. This past week I went on a spring break trip. Anybody else go on spring break this past week? Yeah? Maybe? Yep. Two, three, four? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, man, y'all worked a lot. All right. Um, I feel bad about sharing my spring break trip then. Uh, went, went with a couple of friends and my wife over to the Grand Canyon. Uh, we road tripped it out there all 2,600 miles, all 2,648 miles that I was in the car. No one's counting, but I did. I did count. It was a long time. And uh, we went to the Grand Canyon, never been there before, never had been to the Grand Canyon. Uh, and every time I talked to someone about it who had been, they said, oh, you know, the pictures just don't do it justice. The pictures don't do it justice. And so I tried to take a picture of it to see, and, and it doesn't, but here, here's one of the pictures I got. Um, that was on our very last day. Um, we were only there for a couple of days. It was on the second day. We woke up. We were driving out. We said, hey, let's stop and get one more picture, and that was it. And uh, wow, I mean, it's just gorgeous. Um, you know, I knew that it would be wide. Right? I mean, if you look at a map, you can tell it's like, in some parts, it's like 8 miles across. Some parts, it's 10 miles across. I mean, right there, it's probably about 8 to 10 to 12 miles from end to end. I mean, it's just enormously wide. I knew that. I expected that. What I didn't expect was how deep it went. It's like a mile down, literally. It's like from the, from the rim where you're standing, it's like a mile down to the river. Um, in height, not just in walking. It's like an 8-mile walk. It's a mile down. It's so unbelievably massive. And what's crazy is you stand there and you begin to feel really, really small. Because you're standing in the Grand Canyon. I mean, people had come, I was there when we were there, there were tourists from China and from Germany, you know, and, and some from Texas. And, and you realize that, man, this is a space that so many people want to come see because it's just amazing how huge it is. And you feel really small in that moment. And you begin to think, like, what, what do I really matter I mean, look at this thing. I'm just me. What do I really matter? I think we can take that same question and apply it to our faith sometimes because um, if you're like me, you look at some people of history who were just like pillars, monuments, you know, landmarks of faith. I think about like Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, that was a faith that moved mountains, that changed our world quite literally, changed the way that we see each other, changed the way that we, we act and live with one another. You know, I think about like C.S. Lewis who unlocked theology for everyday people and allowed people to access Christianity in bold new ways. Wow. You know, I think about Mother Teresa whose faith propelled her into the most you know, poverty-stricken areas of India and really showed us what just selfless giving love looks like. And, or I even look outside of the Christian faith. I look at like Gandhi. You know, I mean, he only needed one name. Like that's how big he was. Do you think 200 years from now anyone's going to stand around going, hey, remember Scott? No, what do I matter? How important am I really? How important is my faith really when I measure it against these grand canyons, these monuments, these landmarks of faith, like Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa? Who am I really? And it can lead us to ask this question. In the grand scheme of things, does our faith really matter? I mean, I know it matters to me. I know it matters in my life. I know it matters in how I wake up and how I go to sleep every day. But in the grand scheme of things, does my faith really matter? If we place ourselves in the Grand Canyon and look out, do, well, what do, do I really matter? I think the answer is yes. And I think the reason why it's yes might surprise us. It surprised me as I began to work on this uh, text weeks ago. Um, 
The the three texts we're going to look at this morning are some that maybe we're not as familiar with. One comes from the book of Exodus, uh, but not the fun part where like they're rebelling against Pharaoh and the plagues and walking through the Red Sea. This is like the housekeeping part where they're like, yeah, so we got to like form a country now and like set up rules and things. So that's where this part of the story comes from, the much less exciting part of Exodus. Uh, We're going to start with the ordination of Aaron as the high priest of the Israelites. I know, I know it's exciting. Um, And then from there, we're going to move into the book of Numbers for a a portion of text where Aaron dies and his son Eliezer assumes the role of priest. And then lastly, we're going to look at a story from Numbers again that involves Eliezer's son Phinehas. So there's three names we need to keep in mind today. One is Aaron, all right? Aaron, he was Moses' brother. He's the one that was the mouthpiece for Moses as they were liberating the Israelites out of Egypt's hold. And then uh, Aaron's the first name. The second name is Eliezer. That is Aaron's son. And then the third name is Phineas. That is Eliezer's son. Those are the three names. Aaron, Eliezer, Phineas. Three generations. That's what we're going to look at today. Before we read, let's pray over our text. Gracious God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift of worship together as a community of faith. I don't know if we arrive here refreshed and rejuvenated from a well-earned week off or if we come here exhausted and exasperated. I ask that however we arrive this morning that we would be able to feast on your word, that we would be filled by your spirit and we could go here more alive than we anticipated. We give thanks for your word. We ask that it would come alive for us this morning. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Let's begin. Exodus chapter 29, verses 29 through 30 says this. The sacred vestments of Aaron shall be passed on to his sons after him. So um, let me actually place this for a second. Uh, I'm not having us read the whole chapter here uh, because it involves a lot of animal slaughter and lots of blood and and guts and bring the entrails over here and put the blood on his earlobes. And I just felt like, I don't know, we probably just ate breakfast or something, maybe not the best time. Um, This portion is about the, the, really the ordination of Aaron itself. God is talking about exactly what he thinks Aaron's role should be. And he's talking about these vestments. These vestments he's describing, um, actually in the book of Numbers, they get talked about for chapters and chapters. They're very ornate. They're laden with jewels. And it's very specific as to where the gems go. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, it is described as kind of heavy. And it's, and it's just this masterful work. But the robes are this really important thing. He says, okay, the vestments, the sacred vestments, these robes of Aaron shall be passed on to his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who is priest in his place shall wear them seven days when he comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place. Um, Did we? Yes, perfect. So uh, what I love about this scripture is uh, it seems simple. And when I was reading it this first time, I had to read it a few times before I went, wait a second, that's actually kind of profound. Um, Here Aaron is being described his job by God. God is describing what it means to be priest. He's going into this very ornate, sacram- you know, sacramental kind of sacred um, ritual that they're going to undertake with very specific instructions on how to handle the animals and how to handle the sacrifices. And he's got very special instructions for Aaron. But what impresses me here is that uh, the first thing that God makes clear, clear to Aaron is that the priesthood is not about him. Being the priest is not about Aaron which is kind of odd because there's all this pomp and circumstance and it seems very important and Aaron seems like a very important guy but God immediately makes clear that one day, Aaron, you're not gonna wear these robes. Being priest is not about you. 
you're just stepping into a role that is very important for these people. The high priest is going to be charged with leading the faith of the Israelites. The high priest will be in charge of instructing holiness and keeping proper things clean and keeping righteousness and, and keeping the people out of sin. The high priest will be charged with making sure that whenever God's wrath does burn against them, as it will later, um, that, that they come back into right standing. The high priest is really important, but Aaron, being high priest is not about you. Because one day, you won't be here. And what God makes clear to Aaron in that moment is that your number one job as high priest is not holiness, it's not cleanliness, it's not righteousness, it's not any of these things that you think it's about. The number one job you have is to make sure that your sons are ready when you go. Because one day, they're going to need to wear these robes. And they're heavy. That's the number one job. I think that we have a similar job as people of faith. The one thing I learned from this first scripture that, that rings clear for me is that faith is more than personal. Faith is more than personal. We live in a time and day when uh, we, we have this sort of postmodern philosophy. And what that means is that everybody uh, has access to truth. Everybody has access to opinion. Everybody can be right. Everything is relative. And what that does is it puts us in a very personal space where our personal experience is really important in how we form our thoughts and how we form our beliefs. And when you apply that to faith, what it means is that we begin to think that that personal relationship with God is so important that it's the only thing. And it's not. You know, Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment. He says to love God and to love others, right? Loving God is only half of the equation. I will talk to a lot of people who, uh, you know, I'm talking to them about faith and I, and I ask them about their, you know, their faith and, you know, oh, I feel like me and God are good. And I kind of turn into the church lady, you know, the old SNL skit. Oh, isn't that special? You know, you and God are good. Great. You know, I mean, really, though, I mean, how easy is it to get good with God? You go and sit in a room and you go, God, we good? Yeah, man, we're super good. Oh, great. All right. I can just live my life now. I mean, the personal relationship side is the easy side. That's the easiest part. You go sit in a room by yourself and get good with God. Now, I'm not trying to make light. Maybe it took you a long time to get good with God. Okay, I realize that. Some of us took a long time to get to that place, but let me tell you, even if it took you a long time, that's still the easy part, because guess what? Now that you're good with God, there's a whole big, great, wide world out there full of difficult people, challenging people, challenging circumstances, difficult circumstances, and God says, you gotta go out there and love. That's the hard part. Faith is more than just personal. God makes that clear to Aaron when he says, one day you're not going to be wearing these robes. Your number one job as priest is to prepare your sons. Let's keep going. So God tells Aaron that one day the robes will belong to his son. Let's read that portion here. This is when Aaron is about to die. Uh, this comes in the book of Numbers, chapter 20. Right before this, Aaron and Moses um, were leading the people in the wilderness. They needed water. God told them to be patient. They weren't patient. They hit a rock and some water came out. And so now they're being punished uh, for their lack of faith. Uh, and so Aaron will not enter the promised land uh, with the Israelite people. Instead, he'll join his ancestors uh, on the other side. So we begin to read in chapter 20, verse 22. They set out from the Kadesh and the Israelites, or from Kadesh and the Israelites, the whole congregation came to Mount Or. I love that it calls the Israelites a congregation, by the way. I think that's really cool. Let's keep going. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Or on the border of the land of Edom, let Aaron be gathered to this people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the Israelites, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and his son Eliezer and bring them up Mount Or. 
strip Aaron of his vestments and put them on his son Eliezer. But Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up Mount Or in the sight of the whole congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his vestments, put them on his son Eliezer. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. When all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. So let's unpack this for a second. I, when I read this story, I like to place myself in the position of the congregation, the Israelites, as it describes them. And the high priest is so important to them. I mean, yes, Moses is important, but the high priest, I mean, this is a really religious group of people, so the person in charge of that religion is going to be really important, and this is the only one they've known, and they've been through a lot with Aaron, and he's approaching death, and that's got to create anxiety, right? Because your, your high priest is going up the mountain to die. You watch as your leader and your high priest and the high priest's son walk up the mountain and the high priest isn't looking good because he's older and these robes are heavy and they're laden with gems and, and he's kind of hunched over and he's trying to walk up this large hill, small mountain and they go into a cave and they disappear for a second. What you don't see is Aaron's robe being taken off and being placed on his son and Aaron being laid down and as Ancient rabbis said Aaron's death was probably the most peaceful of all the Old Testament leaders. That They described his death as like being kissed by God himself. That he met God as an old friend. You don't see any of this. Then you see some people walking out of the cave, but they're so far away you can barely make them out. What you can make out is that the robes of the priest are shining. And you notice that the priest is standing a lot taller than he was before. And he seems to walk with a quicker stride. And then you see your leader Moses walking with him, but you don't see a third person, and it's not until they get much closer you realize it's Eliezer wearing the robes. But here's the important thing. The high priest went up the mountain. The high priest came down the mountain. Aaron died that day, but the high priest did not. In fact, the high priest gained a little vitality. I think this is a beautiful story because it speaks to the legacy of our faith. It speaks to the reality that just because we're going to leave this world one day, doesn't mean that our faith has to leave this world as well. We may not have robes that are shiny with gems. Or those, those are super cool, and Reagan and I are getting ordained this summer, and I'd like one. That'd be fun. Um, blinged out, bedazzled robe. That'd be cool. Um, we may not have robes like that, but we do. We have these things, these parts of our faith, these core truths that we can hand on to the people around us so that our life, our faith can live on even when we leave this world. Think about your own life. Think about your robes that you wear. Who gave them to you? Who can you thank for your faith? Is it a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a parent, a friend, an aunt, an uncle, a godmother, godfather, a neighbor? Who is it that handed the robes to you? This scene teaches me something about our faith and how it matters. Faith at its best lives on without us. Just because we leave this world doesn't mean our faith should too. Now, how does that happen? Let's turn to the last story to understand. Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. So Eliezer's assumed the role of priest, but now his son enters into the story. And his son is going to be faced with a very difficult choice, a very difficult task. And I want to say before we read this story that it can be easy to read Old Testament stories through 21st century lenses 
And what I mean by that is it's easy to judge Old Testament stories and say, gosh, that's terrible. Gosh, that's despicable because we live today and we have much greater sensibilities towards ethics, right? Um, Let's not judge this story based on 21st century standards. Don't get lost in the weeds of how this sounds brutal or wrong. Let's focus on what the meaning of this story is, yeah? Because this story is violent and it's not fun to read, um, but I think it's important. So let's read chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. While Israel was staying at Shittim, the people began to have sexual relations with the women of Moab. That was a big no-no. The, uh, they invited the people to sacrifices of their gods. So the women of Moab, they worship a pagan god. They're inviting the Israelites, specifically the men, to come to these sacrifices and also where uh, sexual relations are part of the, uh, the, the sacred acts of their religion. Um, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Thus Israel yoked itself to the Baal of Peor. That's a pagan god. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and impale them in the sun before the Lord, in order that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you shall kill any of your people who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. Just then one of the Israelites came and brought a Midianite woman into his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the Israelites while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, saw the priest, uh, son of Aaron the priest saw it, he got up and left the congregation. Taking a spear in his hand, he went after the Israelite man into the tent and pierced the two of them, the Israelite and the woman, through the belly. So the plague, there was a plague affecting thousands of them. The plague was stopped among the people of Israel. Nevertheless, those that died by the plague were 24,000. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites by manifesting such zeal among them on my behalf that in my jealousy I did not consume the Israelites. Therefore say, I hereby grant him my covenant of peace. It shall be for him and for his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the Israelites. So I could spend a whole sermon unpacking that story, right? There's a lot there and it's messy. Um, but we're not going to focus on the morality, the ethics of uh, putting the chiefs on spears in the sun and stabbing the Israelite and the Moabite woman through the belly. Instead, I want to focus on why the story is important enough that the author of Numbers included it. And what's the point of this story? The point of this story, I think, first and foremost is this. That Phineas had a really difficult decision to make. He had large amounts of his Friends and family, his congregation of the Israelites, began pursuing this other God, this pagan God. I mean, how many of us get distracted by advertisements promising to make our lives better and richer and healthier and we'll be better looking and taller and thinner and wonderful and everything will be great, right? And we, we switch phones and we don't like the phone that we have because it's not working right. We, we switch cable companies. We switch this. We switch that. Well, back then, the advertisements weren't about phones or cable companies or anything else. The advertisements were about God's. Hey, the Baal of Peor, he'll make it rain. Literally, we need rain. We need rain. Um, and so Phineas has a really difficult decision to make. He, he realizes that um, this plague they've been experiencing is because of the unrighteousness of the people. And he has to do something. But I think the most important part of the story is not actually what Phineas does, but more how God responds. Notice that 
in the text we just read, Phineas is never called just Phineas, is he? He's called Phineas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron. Every time. Phineas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron. God says, Phineas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, did this wonderful thing. Why? Why does God say it that way? Because God understands that Phineas didn't do it alone. Phineas wasn't righteous alone. Phineas didn't make the hard choice alone. Phineas made a faithful choice because he was instructed by Eliezer who was instructed by Aaron. God remembers that ordination ceremony where he's told Aaron, Aaron, your number one job is investing in the lives of your son. Eliezer assumed that mantle, knew his number one job was investing in the life of his son. Phineas knew what to do and knew how to do it because he'd been instructed according to the way that God had led Aaron and Eliezer. The story is powerful for me because it shows me that when I live my life, when I live my faith completely consumed about myself, trying to make sure that I am as great as I possibly can be, well, sure, my faith will change me. You can have a personal faith, just a personal faith, just a you and God, we're good kind of faith, and it'll help you get up in the morning. It'll help you go to sleep at night. It'll help you find the job that you want. It'll help you find a lot of ways the life that you, that you think you want. Personal faith will change your life, but a, a relational faith changes the world. Aaron had a relational faith. Eliezer had a relational faith. Phineas saved his people because his father and his father's father were willing to invest in him. And Aaron never lived to see it. He never lived to see his investment pay off. But he knew that his number one job was pouring out in the lives of the people around him. So what if we adopted a priestly mindset when it comes to our faith? What if we adopted a mindset that says, if I want my faith to matter, it needs to be not about me. I don't need to be a monument. I don't need to be MLK. I don't need to be Scott, right? I don't. I don't. What I need to be is available. What I need to be is investing. What I need to be is pouring out myself to the people in the world around me. So a couple challenges this week. I would ask that when we go from this place, we consider strongly, who is it that God has placed in my life who is younger than me? I want to say it that way, who is younger than me, who I can invest in, who I can invest in their faith. Now, you might say, Scott, I'm a parent. Those are my kids. Your kids are great. I really hope you're investing in your kids. That's not where it stops. That's not where it stops. Who else is younger than you? doesn't have to be children. You may say, Scott, I'm not called to work with kids. Trust me, I get it. I worked in kids' ministry for three years. Amy Hart's sitting right over there. She was my best volunteer. She'll tell you, sweet Mr. Scott, not called to work with kids. I'm a good volunteer. It's just not my life's calling because they're squirrels and I don't understand them. And you might be in the same place. Scott, I'm not called to work with kids. That's fine. I'd still challenge you to find some way to invest in children, but maybe you're called to invest in young adults. Maybe you're called to invest in just someone younger than you. Here's the math. What's your age? Subtract one. Find somebody. <laughs> Simple math, right? But there's somebody out there who needs you to be in relationship with them, not because you're an expert, but because you have experiences that you can share with them. I think the, the last thing that prevents us from doing this is we think, I'm not an expert. I don't have my faith all figured out. What do I really have to offer? You have you to offer. I don't know what it's like to be a Christian, to live in faith with God as a woman, as a person of color, as someone older than me, as someone younger than me. I know what it's like to be in relationship with God as Scott Parker Gilliland. That's it. 
I need to be in relationship with people outside of myself so I can understand what is it like to be in relationship with God as you? What is that like? We all need that. We need to broaden our perspectives because life and faith is not just simply a personal thing. We've got to be willing to open ourselves up to pouring out into others so they can also pour back into us. I want to close on this. Pastor Stan Copeland is our senior pastor. We'd say he's a faithful guy. Yeah. He's got this faith thing, you know, pretty well figured out for the most part. Um, Stan, in our prayer meeting this morning, he was commenting about how he had uh, visited and worked with our student and young adult ministry during their mission trip down to Victoria, Texas. They went to Victoria, Texas uh, to build, to, to actually not build a home, to replace the roof on a home. Who wants to roof on spring break? Yay. Turns out 30 of our junior high to young adults wanted to do that. That's awesome. A diverse group from all of our different worshiping communities, Zimbabwe, Heart of Africa, Modern Worship, Crosswalk, Thrive, Traditional, young adults that are in seminary, grad school, college, they all went down. Stan said it was so amazing to get there and not see African kids, Anglo kids, grad school students. Because, you know, adults, we tend to kind of separate ourselves into groups. We build walls over time. He said when he got there, it was just everybody. He was so, it was so powerful for him to see that. And he didn't just see it. Victoria, Texas saw it too. They made the front page of the Victoria Advocate. You guys get this at home, right? <laughs> well, Victoria got it because they were impressed by what they saw too. They said, wow, who is this group of totally different kids and young adults that are here to work on spring break? When you open yourself to pouring out into others, I don't care if you've got faith totally figured out or you're just getting started. Stan Copeland, who's the senior pastor of a big old church in Dallas, Texas, went to Victoria and saw some kids working together, and it, I'm telling you, it changed his faith a little bit. When you open yourselves up to these kinds of experiences, yeah, you're pouring out, but you're also receiving it. Faith was never meant to be personal alone. Aaron knew it, Eliezer knew it, Phineas knew it too. I pray that we know it as we go this morning. Let's pray together. Holy and gracious God, we're so thankful for a morning spent with Aaron and Eliezer and Phineas, a morning of unfamiliar text, challenging words, but words that inspire us to see ourselves as something bigger than just us. That faith is about more than simply relationship with you, that it's about relationship with you that compels and propels us into relationship with others. God, as we find ourselves in the large story, the large narrative of faith, from Aaron and Eliezer and Phineas to David and Ruth and Esther to Jesus and Paul and John and Thomas to C.S. Lewis and Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King Jr. to us. Let it be like we're standing at the rim of the Grand Canyon and we begin to feel small, but in a really good way. Let us feel small and in awe and in wonder at the fact that we simply get to be here, that we get to be a part of it, that we get to add to this story, that we get to wear the robes for just a moment. Remind us what you reminded Aaron so many years ago that our faith is not about us. Our life, our life of faith is about pouring out the people and the world around us. Challenge us as we go. 
name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.